Radio Mano Papachango. Topanga. Uh, this is a bonus episode. I'm just going to throw this one out there <clears throat> because um, it was effortless. I just went over to Jake Johansson's house the other day and we sat in his kitchen and we bullshat for a little over an hour and lo and behold, we had a podcast. And so I want to get this out right away because Jake is going on tour and I wanted to alert everyone that you could, uh, you know, go see him. So I didn't want to sit on this until he was already out on tour or you'd made other plans. So uh, it seems like a good idea to just get this one out there. Fresh from the oven, as they say. Uh, He's going to be, let's see, March 2nd through 4th in Denver. Uh, the Comedy Works South, and then if you're in Minneapolis, he'll be up there the 8th through the 11th. And if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, he'll be there on the 12th. If you're in Atlanta, he'll be there on the 13th of March. 14th of March, Birmingham, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama. Two dates in Alabama. He'll be there the 15th. And then Nashville, Tennessee on the 16th at a place called Zanies. Uh, we recorded this as sort of a joint thing. Uh, he's releasing it on uh, on his podcast, and I'm releasing it on this. Uh, on his podcast, you know, he and I talk about the different dates and the clubs and all that stuff, but I thought, you know, you might not want to hear all that. So I cut that out, and I'm just uh, running through it here myself for you. So anyway, go if you're uh, into comedy. Jake is legendary. He's been on the David Letterman Show 47 times, I think. He, you know... He and Dave had a special thing, which we talk about a bit on this episode. Um, But he's been around the comedy world for a long time. He's true professional, really funny guy, really cool dude, as you'll hear. Anyway, check him out. His his, um, webpage is uh, jakethis.com, jakethis.com. So go check him out, you know, get the details of where to get tickets if you're in any of those cities. And that's it. No more intro. No more bullshit. Thanks for your support. Uh, Appreciate it at patreon.com and through my Amazon affiliate link. As always at chrisryanphd.com. Appreciate all your support. I appreciate you telling your friends your emails. I read all the emails. I can't possibly respond to all of them, but I do read all of them. And uh, I appreciate all the kind thoughts that uh, you folks are sending my way. And I send them right back at you. So let's just get into this with Jake Johansson. I'm going to play a song called Have It All by a dude named Jeremy K. Seems appropriate given the fact that uh, Jake and I talk a fair bit about sort of questioning the premise of success and, uh, you know, making it, having it all in this life. Uh, and even if you do have it all, how do you know? How do you know when you have it all? Anyway, thanks for your uh, support and uh, your kind thoughts. See you next week. I told my terrific it's rain or shine. I feel like my heart was broken at least a million times. And some days I wake up dreaming. 
I think you could whip out a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> do you? I do. <laughs> you could whip, whip out your vagina. That'll <laughs> scare the boys. Why don't you whip that thing out? Let's have a look at it. <laughs> You'd be a great gynecologist. <laughs> have a seat. Whip oh, out your boy. vagina. So my guest is... I'll be right with you. My guest is Chris Ryan, and he's <laughs> Not, been on the show. They know who you are, yeah. don't they? Okay. You're going to give me a better intro on your show, I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> they know who you are. Chris Ryan, so, you wrote a book. I think, I think zany is a stupid word. Just zany. What's another word like zany? There, there are other words like that. 
Goofy doesn't. Goofy, I like because I think about the cartoon character. Goofy, Chuckles. I think there's there's plenty of comedy clubs called Chuckles. I think there yeah, were. Zanies. Zanies started in Chicago. And by the way, there's no apostrophe s there. So is it the plural of zany? Yeah, it's zanies. more than one zany. Multiple zanies. There's lots of zanies in Multiple here. Multiple zanies. Yeah. Their their um, mascot thing was a. You know, a guy who, who who's, it's almost like his body and his face were one entity and then his arms stuck out the side and he had little legs and he was kind of chubby and he never wore any clothes and he was just laughing and rolling around. That's their logo, the Zany. So Zany started in the 70s. The, gov- the first one was in a strip club. Uh, it, well, the, the strip cl- he bought the strip club and turned it into a comedy club. Right. One of the few times that, that, that it's transitioned that way. Actually, in the 70s, a lot of comics played in strip clubs, right? I was, I was watching a CNN special about the history of comedy the other night? Have you seen any of this? It was a thing. No, I haven't seen that because, uh, you know... There was my, the whole Lenny Bruce thing. Like, he played yes. in strip clubs. And he they, married a stripper, Honey. He, oh, did he? Honey West. Yeah, Honey West. So there was this whole thing about how, like, vaudeville was all family-friendly. And mm-hmm. then um, people started playing in strip clubs and they had to do something different because it was a different crowd, obviously. Uh, much more sort of looking for edgy stuff. And that sort of started this whole world of stand-up comedy as we know it today, with people pushing limits and social commentary and yeah, it's a, it's tricky. I think I think to to go back and try and make it one linear path. Yeah, of course. From somewhere to here, I think I think as you go back, it branches out. Yeah. Just like the tree, the tree branches into the roots, and it also branches into the branches yeah well that's and, profound yeah check my out check my out <laughs> check my brain out i left out brain because i was thinking it and yeah so i thought i don't uh-huh. have to say brain yeah um but yeah well burlesque i think was an offshoot of vaudeville mm. that was a little more naughty or grown yeah. up or whatever yeah but yeah there was a series of uh Comedians before there were comedy clubs, there were nightclubs, and the Playboy clubs was a thing, mm. and that was like a, it, it wasn't just a it wasn't like a strip club. It was like a high end club, yeah. And I think there were scantily clad the women. Bunnies, but that sure. was th- those times were sexist enough that you could still bring your wife to a place where there were naked ladies and go, just go, don't go in the naked lady room. You know, we're going to the other room. Or, or maybe she wants to go in the naked lady room. Hey, I'm not far be it from me to stop anybody from going in the naked lady room. That's where you want to be. Yeah. Especially if you're a naked lady. Yeah. Well, it's weird. It's weird when you're not in the naked lady room when you're a naked lady. But when you're a naked lady, every room is the <laughs> it naked lady the room. the naked lady room. Yeah. Exactly. I, you know, I got this call. I, I get like maybe one or two inquiries a month of people asking if the rights to Sex of Dawn are still available. The movie rights. TV, movie, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was this entertainment, uh, this production company in Santa Monica. So I went down to, to meet with them. But I've been through this so many times now, you know, where it's just blah, 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 that nothing ever happens, right? Welcome to show business. Yeah, exactly. So the good thing about it is, like, I have absolutely no expectations. And I... When I agree to go to a meeting, it's because I have nothing better to do that day and I feel like taking a drive. And it's also like the quintessential L.A. experience. Going to a production company in L.A. is is like as L.A. as it gets. You know, it's like going to a cheese shop in Paris or something. I don't know. There's, it's you like, really have to do it. While you're <laughs> visiting Los Angeles, you really must <laughs> you go must and pitch a project <laughs> at a exactly. studio. 
Exactly. Get some smoke blown up your ass by some executive producers or whatever, assistant producers. Anyway, so these guys are doing a a TV series and they want me to consult. Uh, And the idea is that it's a it's going to be a series about people who have I I don't want to talk too much about it because it's still in development, but it's Mm. about people having unconventional sexual relationships. Right. Uh huh. So, you know, they asked me if I have any sort of insight into that, and they thought I did because of the book. They didn't know that, you know, my entire existence has been (laughs) an investigation of unconventional. So I told them a couple of stories, and they were like, oh, my God, really? You know people like that? I was like, yeah. Really? Oh, that's amazing. And, and like, but he's not jealous, and she's not. How how can, oh, come on, man. How can there be people in L.A. In their 30s. Yeah. In their thirties, yeah. really? Yeah. It's like no, but you don't know the stories I told them. I mean, I was telling them All some right. pretty uh, high. Yeah, well, God forbid you tell one of those stories here. <laughs> no, can't do it, and that's that's why. Uh, oh, this is proprietary. I, I, I realized property. that. Like they were all excited, and I was going to bring my my um, you know depth of experience and all that kind of stuff. And I realized, like, I am on the verge of getting paid. To just be a dirty old man. Like, mm. I'm almost like a dirty old man consultant at this point. That's a pretty good gig. Yeah, I thought, I, it, I was confused while you were just saying that. Because first I thought I was trying to, my, when you stopped talking, I was thinking, now what, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to try and make you feel better and say you're not a dirty old man? But then you, at the no, end there, you no. embraced it. and you said, Don't worry about it. You I don't no feel like you're that old. But I was going to say, like, knock, knock, wake <clears> up, <throat> ding dong. You're already, you're, you're already getting paid for that. Yeah. If these guys, these guys will just be paying you more for that. You yeah. already wrote the book. Right. You're doing the podcast. You've got young ladies who are interested in you. You, you know, I don't think of they, they probably don't think of you as a dirty old man. <laughs> Do they? I don't know. Do you ever ask him like, "What do you think of me?" That's not a good question, <laughs> really, is it? That's not me? a good. Re- Enough about you. Like, what do you think about me? <laughs> a postcoital question <laughs> of like, so how is that? For, I I can't help but have noticed that our ages are a little bit different, and so uh, what are your thoughts about yeah. that and me? Because yeah. I think it's great. Well, I am older because I turned uh, fifty-five since I saw you last. Oh, so happy I've, birthday! I've now hit the speed limit. What's your when's your what's your dob? Well, I don't. I don't like oh, to you say, like to say the actual date because someone might steal your identity. You know. Well, I'm pretty much done with this one. Are you kidding? No, I, I never put my uh, official, my actual date of birth. I never put it anywhere. People can find out your date of birth. How? By googling you. Well, not unless you've told someone what it is. Uh, I feel I like I feel so. like this is a challenge. Maybe afterwards, I'm going to try and find out your birthday. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, Google. Christopher Ryan. We'll see if Google knows my date of birth. I don't know. My iPad just went nuts. Because <laughs> you said, okay, Google. Oh, right. right. I did that one time. Rogan and I were talking about... Oh, shit. It's right there on my Wikipedia page. Yeah. I thought oh. that was going to... Your, your birthday is one of those things that you can just... For your birthday and your age, those cats are out of the bag now. Oh, jeez. I've been so coy about it. 
The only thing, the only thing that's a secret is uh, how many Twitter followers you have to uh, everyone in mainstream show business. They can't see that? <laughs> They're too stupid to check. What? You go in on these meetings and they'll go, you know, you're pitching them the thing and then they're talking about supporting it on social media and then they'll ask you, like, how many Twitter followers do you have? It's just like, what did you do before this meeting? So you, you just tell them half a million? Yeah, a million. I got a million. Yeah, a million, yeah. Yeah. Roughly. Anyway, roughly a million. It's roughly a million. It's more than zero. It's less than two million. <laughs> Give or take 950,000. Yeah. 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 Anyway, what the hell are we talking about? I think we were talking about uh, going around pitching yourself in show business meetings. Oh, yeah. That is. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you were going to talk a little bit. I, you brought up the guy. I was going to bring him up just in the context of, I feel like there are people now, this is the game of show business to me, since I started, the game has always been get famous and sell tickets. You know, you, you, you become known so that when you go to, for example, to Denver, Minneapolis, uh, Charlotte, Carolina, Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Birmingham, Alabama, or Huntsville, Alabama, or Nashville, Tennessee, when you go to those places, people want to come out and buy tickets. Right. And the reason they want to buy tickets is because they know who you are already because you're famous. So get famous and sell tickets. That's the way it's always been. But it used to be the way that you got famous was pretty simple. You got on The Tonight Show, you got on Letterman, you did an HBO special, those were the only choices. But now there's everything, and then there's things, like, I don't know, does a Netflix special even make you famous anymore? I don't know. But now you can get famous just by saying things that are, it's hard to get famous, I guess. It's easy and hard. So, so this guy, Milo, 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 his thing to get famous is just, he just says shit that is so crazy that you can't believe he actually believes it. And then he keeps telling you that he does believe it to the point where eventually he's, t- he's telling you that it's okay to have sex with young boys. And it's like, well, that, okay, first of all, that's not okay. Second of all, I, I, I'm calling bullshit on I don't believe that you think that that's okay. How, you can't be. Who, me? No, him. Oh. No, him. It's like he and Ann Coulter, I feel like, are caricatures yeah. of, of real human beings, but they say stuff that no one could really think all that stuff. You yeah. know, they're just yeah. so far out there. Yeah, well, you know, one of, I guess he did two podcasts where he talked about that, and one of them was on Rogan's podcast. And um, the way they got into it was Rogan quoted me. Actually, <laughs> this is my tangential connection to this whole oh, mess. And that's a good plug for your podcast, Tangentially Speaking, uh, which technically we are also <laughs> on right now. But anyway, sorry, I didn't even think of that. Uh, anyway, the point is, so I had told Rogan about this tribe in Papua New Guinea because we were talking about homosexuality. And I was trying to make the point that, you know, we think we know what homosexuality is. We talk about it as if it's a well-defined concept, but there are cultures around the world who who do things that from our perspective appear to be homosexual behavior but from their perspective are just standard normal in quotes uh, behavior and they I, I hesitate to call it heterosexual behavior because they're not making that distinction right so there's a tribe in New Guinea who believes that semen contains the essence of masculinity so the boys mm-hmm. who are like the sort of captain of the football team macho kind of you know adolescent boys suck as much dick as they possibly can so they'll ingest all this you know man juice and grow up to be bigger stronger warriors now, from our perspective, I told Dan Savage that, and he was like, 
no, what's the name of this tribe? <laughs> and what river valley are they in? Well, no, what L. Ron Hubbard was the guy who made up that story? <laughs> what gay L. Ron Hubbard was the guy who made up like, <laughs> no, wait, this is where all your masculinity is. So if you <laughs> do right. this for me, that's going to make you more yeah, macho. It's actually for you. It's yeah. not for me. It's not for me. I mean, I could give this to someone else. I'm doing you a favor. That's right. How many times a day do you think I can ejaculate? <laughs> it's not a lot at my age. So, look, I'm doing you a favor. I've chosen you, young yeah. man. Yeah, so uh, so I told Rogan that, and apparently that stuck in his memory because he whipped it out for, uh, for Milo. And then Milo was like, went off on this thing about how he had sucked off his priest when he was 13 or 14 and how he was the predator in that thing. It's like the guy, the priest wasn't the predator. I was the predator. You know, I was I was running around looking for dicks to suck. And, you know, and uh, so that's that's one of the things that um, got him in trouble. Uh, but that same guy, this is the world we're living in now, that same guy has got credibility on political kind of stuff? I don't know if he has credibility. Does he have credibility? People want to listen to him, don't they? They, they want to talk to him. They're I mean, curious, the, the Republicans are like, you know, if you attack my enemy, you're my friend. It doesn't really matter who mm -hmm. you are. I mean, this guy, I looked at Milo. I watched, did you see him on Mar the other night? I didn't see that yet. Well... I saw the I saw a photo of his outfit, which I thought he was really going for it. <laughs> the pearls. I thought he was really he went <laughs> a little really great. OTT with the GAY. Great, yeah. He's like, so I read somebody said he was like a a cross between. Uh, shit, what was it? George Michael and Rachel Maddow or something. It was some sort of because he does do he wears these glasses and he sort of does uh -huh. get a bit of a Rachel Maddow look about him. But anyway, he um, you know, it occurred to me that he's like, you know, I a long time ago in Alaska, I met a woman who was engaged to a performance artist. Have I told you this story? Already. It's time for a long time ago in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> this week, on this a long, week, time, a long ago time ago in, in Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> so, start so, again. A long time ago in Alaska, <laughs> I met a woman who was engaged to a performance artist. And uh, she and I ended up sleeping together in my tent. Mm -hmm. which was awkward. He had left. He'd gone off to work on this floating cannery because uh, they have these... That's these, how they do it. They, they catch the fish and then they can them right next to the... Right. So, yeah. Well, some of them are on big ships, right? So he'd mm -hmm. gone... They were fighting and having all these issues and he was like, fuck it. And he left and went to, to be on this floating fish processing plant in um, Prince William Sound. So I was there in Kenai. She was there. We were working in the same cannery. We were sleeping in tents and on the bluff. And then... Uh, so she ended up sleeping with me in my tent, and one night we're lying there sound asleep. And of course, in Alaska, in tents, you're constantly aware of bears, you know, because you there's hear bears. There's bears around. Oh, there's bears did you everywhere. Do the, put your food in the tree thing. No, because we were in a town. I mean, there weren't bears in the town necessarily. This is the kind of town where you it had tents <clears throat> in it. 
Yeah, it was it was a town, Alaska. and there was this big field, and it was next to the fish processing area and all mm-hmm. that. Sometimes bears would come down and get in the dumps near because it's like fish everywhere. You, you know? can smell them for a long. Oh, well, that's Jesus. the good news about being around dead fish is they don't smell you that much. They're busy sniffing that fish. Except that you smell like dead fish, which is not a good thing in bear country. Do you? You do because you're. I mean, in my case, I was working on the slime line. I was covered in fish guts every oh, fucking day. Who do you get a blow to get on that slime line? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was. We were known as slime monkeys. <laughs> is where you're gutting the fish. I heard there. you had a, an opening as a slime monkey, and <laughs> I'd like to show you my I, resume. I'm highly qualified. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so you're in your tent. So, you're so we're bears. in the tent. Just had... Well, the thing is, you're lying in this tent, right? And you're there's just this super thin layer of nylon between you and the world. But full you, of bears, the world full of bears. Full, There's full zero of bears, bears in your and tent. people walking by, and mm-hmm. you hear all this shit, right? And but you're not like behind a wall. You're totally vulnerable. Mm. So there's a sense of vulnerability Wait. sleeping Describe in a tent. Describe tents for the people who might be listening. Um, so your people don't know what tents yeah, are. Do. You they dumb do. audience. You, you were just describing a tent to me like I didn't know what it was. I get it. You're inside of a little envelope of nylon. On nylon, and so you, oh, so you're making fun of me. That's I what guess. you're doing. I don't, That's you know, what you're doing. It's accidental. I, didn't God, mean I don't to know. Make your, your guest uh, management is just atrocious. Someone I know. Has I'm to terrible. Talk to well, this is this. probably why I'm doing a show. There's not even a green room. <laughs> no, you come right in. You're on the show. <laughs> you're on. Uh, anyway, so I'm lying there sound asleep. She's, you know, got her head on my shoulder. She's asleep. And I hear, Chris, Chris. It's like four in the morning. Chris, what? What? Chris. This is Ralph. Ralph's her fiance. He's outside the he's tent. He's outside the tent. He doesn't know she's in the tent. He says, Is Catherine with you? And I'm like, What's the right answer? Fuck. I'm sound asleep, right? I'm, come, I'm like, I'm still half dreaming. And it's like, All I know is I need like 10 seconds to like wake up and, and be able to think, right? Right. So I said, uh, Wait a minute, I'll check. <laughs> <laughs> in the tiny tent. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'll check. I'm imagining him out there with a fucking machete or something. Anyway, so they, so she goes out and they go off and fight and I don't know, whatever. And then the next day I go down to the cannery and you wear these, in the slime line, you wear these big rubber, like, wading boots, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, you take off your, you leave your hiking boots or whatever at the tent and you go down these wading boots. So I come back at lunch. And Ralph, who was a performance artist, had made a cross out of branches, put my hiking boots on the cross, and lit it on fire. And my, my hiking boots were these smoldering Aww. lumps of rubber and, yeah. So he, he was not in a polyamorous relationship with her? Not willingly, no. No. No, not knowingly. Uh, but anyway, so that was the first time I heard about performance artists. And I thought, like, what a dumb, like, performance art. What the fuck is that? I mean, that was my first experience mm-hmm. of performance art. Instead of, like, beating me up or yelling at me, he, he right a crucifix. But I watched this guy Milo the other night, and I thought, fuck, performance art has taken over the world. He's a performance artist. That's what he... Yeah. Trump is a... Ann Coulter is a performance yes. artist. The yeah, Kardashians yeah. are performance artists. They're all performance artists. They're all just doing some performance of a character or, you know, of an ass in Kim Kardashian's... What is she? She's got an ass. That's, like, all it is. She has this big fucking Armenian ass. 
That's what she does for a living. <laughs> I don't know why you're going to make an Armenian, but all right. <laughs> well, she is Armenian. Yeah, no, she? I get it. Yeah. But, like, she doesn't sing. She doesn't dance. Like, what does she do? She just, like, walks around with this big Armenian ass. I don't know. But, so, yeah, performance art has taken over the world. This is the thing. You I can, didn't see it coming. There's new ways that you can get famous. Yeah, well, and they used to say sh- politics is show business for ugly people, but now it's just politics is show business. Yeah. Politics is show business. And yeah. so we're going to... They're still ugly, though. Well... Except for Gavin Newsom. When he gets in there, oh, boy. They're going to get better and better looking. I mean, I yeah. feel like Dwayne Johnson <clears throat> is... The Rock. That guy is going to be... Secretary of Defense. Uh, I feel like he—he's—he doesn't have a military. I don't think he's going to do. A, can you get in it from just playing people who are in the military? And Reagan movies? did. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, I like Dwayne better, better for a president than oh, you, you think know, he just can a go cabinet position. Yeah. Sure, I think so. Yeah. He's pretty likable. He's my favorite celebrity, Is he? and I feel like he does things. I mean, he acts and he wrestles and he works out, and I mean, he, I feel like he's got a work ethic. Yeah, unlike he's some of these the other discipline. ones, the Kardashian. Although. I think it's not easy to be Milo, to be that, and, and culture, to be that kind of performance artist where you gotta, you got to think up that crazy stuff and then be prepared to defend it. Yeah. You know, because I remember years ago I had a joke about uh, extraterrestrials and that they lived and worked among us and that they were, you know, just keeping a low profile, that they were here, but they're keeping a low profile because they don't need to be bothered by us all the time. And, and, uh, <clears throat> then I would, and it was jokes, you know, but I would go on these morning shows and they wanted it to be like, so you really believe extraterrestrials live and work among us? And I, I was too stupid <laughs> to realize like, yeah, I should, I should, I should go actually be on there because yeah. that could be my career. As I go on and I go, yeah, I'm the guy who thinks there are aliens are everywhere. Yeah, you could have been, uh, what's his name, uh, who was on Rogan just a couple weeks ago. The Alex Jones. Alex Jones, yeah. 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 Except I'm not crazy. You have to shout, the- though, really loud. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing. I, I think can shout. Alex Jones, Rush Limbaugh. I, I knew someone who knew Rush Limbaugh, like, when he was younger. And he said he was actually a really smart guy. And I, I think that what happens is, you know, what's the difference between Rush Limbaugh and Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> One. Dig a hole and crawl out of it, okay? I think they're the same thing. I think Marilyn Monroe was smart. Rush Limbaugh's smart. But Marilyn Monroe recognized early on that she could make a lot of money pretending to be dumb. Uh-huh. And so she did. And she did it really well. You have to be smart to pretend to be dumb that well. I'll tell you what, you, you know that Matt LeBlanc, it turns out that he's the one of the friends, the guy who played the dumb guy on the show, has, has done so many oh, man. Episodes? cool things after. Have yes. you seen episodes? Yes. I yes. love that show. He's so fucking good. So you have to be smart to be dumb. Yeah. And you have to... I, I think a lot of these political shows, I mean, I, especially like Keith Olbermann on the left, that guy used to be a sportscaster. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that he doesn't have political opinions or he doesn't... I mean, everybody can have... Can, be more than one thing but uh, but I think there's there's a moment in your career where you just decide oh if I am just for every crazy Republican thing that I can think of and even more of a cheerleader on that I can be I'll I'll have a career or a yeah. job and well I mean it happens everywhere right it's you can call it capitalism you can call it entertainment whatever if you're you know you're playing to an audience and you start doing jokes about 
you know, whatever it is, aliens or something, and you recognize that you're getting a lot of laughs from that, it's like, oh, there's a market there. There's, you know, people want to hear that. So maybe you add a few more jokes about that, and then you become the aliens guy. Dennis Miller, right? I mean, he, he was this middle-of-the-road comedian who found, like, oh, wait, you know, there's this whole market that's being underserved here. I don't know how I, much he believes it. Oh, yeah, I think he was better than, I think he was better than middle-of-the-road, because, I mean, he was hosting Weekend Update on SNL. He was pretty nah. successful as a comedian. Mm. I thought he was good mm. as a comedian. Anyway, well, we disagree. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I was out of the country at that time, but I, I sort of have seen him since then. He just seems like a smug dipshit to me, but... I don't know. Well, that's where we're I'm all, not a that's comic, where, so that's where, we're, that's where we're all heading. Smug dipshit. <laughs> I mean, if you get old enough, hey, dirty old man's better than smug dipshit. No, but I'm saying just keep keep going with your dirty old man thing. Eventually, it may be when you're 60, it may be when you're 70, maybe when you're 80. But see, I was a smug dipshit in my 20s, so I think I've already punched that. You're tip. over? Yeah, I'm post smug dipshit. I'm like you. I'm trying to stay out of that category, but on the other hand, I do see what you're saying in the context of the conversation we're having is that's where the money is. Smug dipshit is where the money's at. Well, some money. Look, because I think there's I think it's underserved. Most comics are smart, open-minded and politically left of center, right? So, there's a whole audience that's not being served by comedy, which mm. is closed-minded, right-wing, you know, small town. <laughs> so you got to go Milo or go home? <laughs> well, my, see, Milo is a special case, as you said, because, like, he, uh, he really went for it. To be gay and espousing mm -hmm. those views, that's, that's the, you know, with the royal flush. That's like, wow, if you could pull that off, that's some pretty crazy yeah. performance art right there. Mm -hmm. Like... You know, and I actually argued, uh, I don't know, somebody's podcast recently, I was arguing that well, this is when, before he got disinvited to do the CPAC thing, I was saying, this guy's great. I, uh, more power to him. To have a gay, openly gay man wearing pearls and earrings giving the, the uh, what's it called, the, the main talk, the, the, I forget, you know, the word I'm looking The keynote. The keynote at CPAC. That's great. That's a step in the right direction mm -hmm. for America. You know, whatever he had to do. Talk about getting behind enemy lines. I mean, holy shit. Because no matter what, he is a gay dude, you know? <laughs> so, well, or so he says. Yeah, exactly. Maybe all that cocksucking was performance art as well. Maybe. Well, that's all talk. We haven't seen any of that in action. I mean, I've um, got straight friends who work in gay strip clubs. Same thing. It's like, oh, I can make money doing this. Ah, I just pretend I'm gay, whatever. You mean they work in the strip club as strippers? Yeah. You got some hot... Friends, right? Because yeah. I think to be to work in a straight strip club, you you don't have to be some kind of Victoria's Secret model. Guys, you're like seeing, naked ladies across the board. Guys are more selective. I feel like gay guys are. Look, if I'm going to pay money to go to a strip club, what do I know? What do I know about gay guys? I'm I'm on shaky ground. What do you know, Jake? I don't know enough. I don't know enough. <laughs> that didn't come out right. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot about gay guys. I, I'm as close to gay as you can get without being gay, I think. Mm -hmm. Tell another one night in Alaska story about <laughs> A long time ago, in my little, little tent. <laughs> in my tent with a guy. Uh, yeah. We were hitting it off on the slime line. Just say that. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I have some very, a lot of my best friends are gay. I've had, you know, truly, and all kidding aside, 
uh, most kidding aside, I, my most intimate friendships with men have been with gay men. Because, you know, you're, you're exceptional. And I think maybe this is why, you know, you and I talk a lot about, my, I'm kind of a comic groupie, I guess. Uh, and one of the reasons is that most straight men are just so fucking uptight, you can't have a good time with them, you know? And I find yep. gay men, their sense of humor is much more uh, relaxed and wild. You know, they've they fucking faced the dragon and, and vanquished it. And so there's something I really respect about them. And I find that uh, I enjoy their company more. You know, when you don't have to face that shit, when you can just go through life without ever having to be who you are in defiance of your fucking world... You can be kind of flabby and lazy and smug and yeah. When you have to assert yourself to be yourself, yeah, that, that's it's a good fucking quality. excruciating. Yeah. You know, I respect that a lot. Yeah, yeah. But no, I have never uh, sucked a dick. Thanks for asking. Did I ask that? You were thinking it. You were wondering. <laughs> my parents yeah. thought I was gay for a long time. My aunt. I just a few days ago, I was with my aunt, and I said something, and she's like, "Yeah, I, I always thought you were gay." I was like, "Yeah." I know. I knew you thought it, and I couldn't be bothered to correct anybody. I don't even think I knew that it, it was a thing until I was in college, and then I was meeting gay people. And then, uh, you know, my friend that moved out, when I moved to San Francisco to do stand-up, a friend moved out from Iowa at the same time, and he moved. I moved to San Francisco because that's where Robin Williams started doing stand-up, and he moved to San Francisco because he was he he came out of the closet, and was mm. gay, and wanted to be at wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, but that was that was kind of my beginning of understanding that. I mean, that's how closeted it was in Wisconsin and Tennessee when I was growing up. I mean, I just did not even I wasn't even aware that that was. A thing that anyone was doing. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was a weirder time. I remember when uh, uh, Rock Hudson died. My friend John was in a bar in Canada, sitting next to a guy, and he said something like, "What a surprise that Rock Hudson turned out to be gay." And the guy next to him goes, "I know, like Liberace. Who knew he was gay?" <laughs> Yeah, like, but that's when I was a kid. Yeah. That's was like Liberace. Yeah. yeah, he's just a guy who wears a blinking suit. <laughs> Rhinestones. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, gay. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, Do you see that that film? What was it with uh, Beyond, Behind the Candelabra? Was that the what it was with, called? Uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon and, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Michael Douglas. Yes, I did see it. That was disturbingly well done. Yeah. It, 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 I, that yeah, was good. Yeah. That and it, good. it really pointed up how bizarre that, like, how the culture was so resistant to the obvious truth. Well, but in some ways it was different than now because you couldn't, you couldn't get away with doing the kind of show that Liberace was doing now and, and have anyone doubt that you were gay. You know, they would just be, but, but at that time it was like, no, I don't, I, I don't think he's gay. I'm, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a strange, I mean, well, Ricky Martin, right? Lots of, I mean, girls were going crazy for Ricky Martin. And then he finally came out and everyone was like, oh my God, not Ricky Martin. Like, I, I don't know enough about Ricky Martin to really have an opinion about that. But this now we're in, now we're just two white guys who are trying to decide who's gay. That's not a good. <laughs> Welcome a, to two white guys, two cisgendered, cisgendered white guys who can't figure out what time it is. 
<laughs> Two smug old white guys a long time ago in Alaska. You know who seems a... gay to me, but they're not. <laughs> uh, you, it's, it's you. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wish I were gay, man. Jeez. All the trouble I would have avoided. Do you think so? Nah, yeah, it's yeah. been new trouble. You get beat up. I mean, I starting yeah. out when I started out doing stand up, that was a thing. And I was I dressed kind of idiosyncratic. I was and I was skinny and I get but people would yell fag sometimes. And that and that's really a weird thing to be called that name when you're not gay. Yeah. It, it's like I don't even know what kind of fight we're supposed to have. Right. You it's know? like if someone called you a spick. You <laughs> <laughs> dirty spick, um, or, or well, the N word, or the N word. Like, yeah. what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll fight you. Yeah. <laughs> right. In defense of my minority brothers. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. I, I. When I lived in San Francisco, the first, well, the second time, late '80s. So I was in my late '20s. I had a big old mustache, like a you know, crazed uh-huh. mustache and wore this black motorcycle jacket all the time and I couldn't figure out why everyone thought I was gay. And yeah. Then later I realized... Favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz, talks about it all the time. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. <laughs> yeah, Liza Minnelli, man. Yeah. Why do gay guys love Liza Minnelli? What, because she's what, Judy Garland's daughter, I think. Oh, it goes that far back. I mean, I don't know. I okay, can't. but what about like Bette Midler? Why don't you ask a gay guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan Savage and I have talked about this. Like, you know, why do, you know, I mean, I asked him, like, is, is it like gay guys in interior decorating? What's up with that, man? You know, is that, is that just a cliche or what? And he's like, no, I think it's genetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would know. Yeah, gay guys who don't give a shit about aesthetics. That's that's yeah, the there category. Yeah, there are a lot of them. You don't, yeah. you don't really. Uh, yeah. yeah, sloppy gay guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do know a sloppy gay guy. Do you? Yeah, in Denver. Uh, I haven't seen him for a while, yeah. but not slob. Not not. He just is a big. Plan. He's a bear guy. Oh, you know, right. yeah, that's different. Shirt. I went to a bear bar in uh, the West Village with uh, Dan Savage and Andrew Sullivan. Do you know him, the, the writer? Well, I've never met him, but I know, you know who he I'm is. You know talking about, yeah. Um, sort of led the, the campaign or sort of helped start this whole campaign for a same-sex marriage in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Really interesting guy. Yeah. He was good. He's a guy who just wrote an essay about, I think, about getting off of social media and off the Internet. Well, he, he stopped his... Uh, blog called The Daily Dish, which was the most read blog in the world. Um, it was massive. I read it every day. It was fantastic. But yeah, he, he just stopped everything and uh, shut it down. Had millions of readers. But it sucks your life up to be the guy who's got an opinion about everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. It takes, sucks your life up. I can yeah. barely stand to... I mean, this is just us having a conversation that we would have anyway, yeah. but then we're recording it. Yeah. That's about my speed. That's what I can handle. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like my friend uh, Sierra Lynch, who, who's a humiliatrix. She sells her toenail clippings and her piss and, you know, the hair out of her brush and stuff to, to people online. I'd love to get into selling my toenail clippings. Well, it's kind of what we're doing, Jake. I mean, like you said, we're, we're 
taking this thing that's happening anyway and packaging it and sending it out to the world as if it's something to be proud of. Yeah, we're harvesting our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's a weird thing. Here in L.A., I've got all these friendships that only happen on podcasts. I go hang out with Rogan, it's on a fucking podcast. Moshe Kasher, it's on a podcast. You, it's on a podcast. But don't get it's on a podcast. It's all recorded. I have all these recorded friendships. Well, listen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings who's listening to this, but we're going to, after this, go eat. Are we? Yeah. Oh, and then, privately? Yeah, and then we're going to talk about things that are fucking so interesting. Really? Yeah. So we're going to actually, instead of saying the N-word, we're going to say what the N-word We're going to say the actual quietly. word. Well, it depends Very on where quietly. we are. You can't even say that word. And I'm okay with not saying it. I think that nobody should be saying it. Look, if that word is... Oh, you're going to take it away from them? Now you're going to take away their right from to them, use their own from language? Them, from those people? <laughs> Well, that's what you're implying. If you say, I don't think anybody should be able to well, use it. Well, if we're not allowed to use it, then let's not use it. But if we, if we, uh, yeah, I, I think it's linguistic reparations, you know, they get to use it and we don't. And we get to keep all the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sweet. Seems like a fair deal. <laughs> that's right. You got it. I'll, where do I sign? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't get any of that money. But well, you didn't, but that, you, it doesn't seem like you did, but you, you know, you, that whole joke about. W George W Bush being born on third base and thinking he hit a triple. Right. I mean, as as white dudes, we're born on first at least base, mm-hmm. and we and it doesn't. But it doesn't feel like that, yeah. Because you know, we if you're on a train moving at a constant speed, you know, it's it's relativity. You don't realize that that's what's going is that on. What relativity is? God, Einstein made it so much more complicated I think, than it needed uh, to be. Yeah, I, I feel like I shouldn't have mixed metaphors, but I got super excited about <laughs> explaining things, and I, I was, I'm sorry. I got to apologize to no, everybody. No, you're right. You're right. We're white dudes again. Back to the white dudes thing. So what's going on with you? You were in Mexico. I was in Mexico Are you doing, doing a, comedy in Spanish. No, it was that a, ballsy, man. It was a corporate. It was a corporate thing. I was working for. Uh, a corporation, and it was their annual sales uh, president's club, their reward for their top salespeople. And they Is that brought as horrible a gig as it sounds. Well, no, because it's actually a vacation. It's pretty And well. they're pretty great people. The, mm. the CEO went on at the end, and he, his wife was there, and she said, boy, these people are really fun to hang out with because it's the top salespeople and their spouses. So some of the sales, top so salespeople like are women. Schmoozers. They're all, they're, you can't be a great salesman unless you have a genuine ability to hang. Right. And, and they're funny, and they got good senses of humor, yeah. and they're smart, and they're fun to Can hang out Can you say what it was they were selling more or less? Um, yeah, well, it was for HP Enterprise software. Uh, and I had done their sales kickoff, and then I did this thing, and, right. and it was... And where, where was it in Mexico? It was in Cabo. Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. At the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula. Yes. It was just around the corner from the tip on the... Uh, uh, sea of Cortez. Yeah, side. yeah, which yeah. got wiped out two or three years ago. Big old hurricane went in there and just decimated that area. Yeah, well, the the the, the place where we were, we, you wouldn't have yeah, known. So it, I'm sure you know. it's all rebuilt now. It's very high, high budget. That yeah, area. that's the thing. It's like when I went to Cabo years ago, there was a ver- you could have the high end, deluxe version, you know, or you could have. So you got a few bucks and you're still on the beach. Real Mexico. Yeah. yeah. 
and that didn't look like that was going on. But but that's also where we were was in the high end. Yeah, if you go area, I think you got to go around the, the corner up the yeah. beach or yeah. back from the water or something like that. You yeah. can do it. But I need to speak Spanish. That's what I realize when I'm down there mm. because. Even if you just try a little bit of Spanish, everybody likes you more. Yeah. And then if you can actually communicate, then you can get out of that creepy, that the relationship of like, I'm here to give you my money and you're being nice to me because you would like me to give you my money. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Mexico. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in various parts of Mexico. Beautiful country. Well, they've got. They've, I was looking on the news, not to bring it back around to politics, but I was looking on the, we're seeing on the news the other day that more people are now returning to Mexico from the United States than coming. That's why he's building the, the wall, man. Got to well, keep them in here. We're gonna. We're building the wall to keep them in. Yeah. Okay. Who's gonna pick our vegetables and our fruits? Clean our houses. Raise our children. We need those Mexicans. Cook our food. Yeah, well, you go to you know who cooks your, oh, every your Italian restaurant, restaurant oh, your sushi yeah. bar. It's yeah. where they don't cook your food at a sushi bar, but yeah. half the time these are these are Mexican yeah. people or Hispanic people. California's going to shut down. They're going to have to. We're not doing it. We play by different rules. We're California. We're the sixth largest economy in the world, so we're going to get to do our own thing. Yeah. I think. I just keep it's telling myself that. Yeah. In my little <laughs> in my little white guy your bubble. bubble. <laughs> yeah. So Mexico was good. How long were you there? It was good. We were there four days. And so... I took the wife. Quick trip down. Yes. Nice, nice. Belinda came along. And we had a nice time. We swam in the... Well, she swam in the ocean. We went to the... She wanted to rent surfboards and go to the surf break. That then when we got there, it was a little beyond what I can do. Mm. I got her started surfing, but now she's a better surfer than me. Mm. And there was too many exposed rocks. Oh, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to come home with a brain injury or not come home with a brain yeah. injury. Or even just scraping your body on rocks and stuff. That's not, that sucks. No, I'm, that I'm sucks. too old for that. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for surfing. I, I tried in Nicaragua. I was in this perfect place, perfect wave, mm -hmm. just, you know, straight three feet high coming in just one after another and this guy took me out there and longboard and everything and I just every you know I kept getting up and then you know would shake and fall and shake and fall and shake and fall and finally I fell forward and smacked the, the board on my head and saw stars and the whole thing and that's no good well one you know. of the fun things about it to me and I started when I was in my 30s was that uh, you could fall off your surfboard like it's like falling down when you're a kid and as long as if you don't hit the board yeah and you're just on a beach break where there's no reef or rocks yeah, or anything. Yeah. You can fall off and not get hurt. Like it's, so it's similar to being a kid. Yeah. You know, now at this age, I'm not crazy about falling off. But yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, so that's fun. I know what I wanted to ask you about. And you're, you said something because I listened to you on your last appearance. on. <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about what you said on other podcasts. Um, I was listening to you talk. And this is I realized this is one of the things I like about you. Where you were uh -huh. talking about kind of ambition and and that you, that you just your thing in life is to try and enjoy it more and oh, was this with Rogan yeah and, to, yeah and not not that driven kind of like yeah. ambition that just yeah. that that kind of blind ambition and I feel like I'm there too I'm, I'm trying to enjoy these gigs that I'm doing by the way <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte and Zanies. Those are my those are my favorite. That's what I'm doing that I enjoy. That's that's fun. Yeah. And so my work and my life are together a thing that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. But I'm always kind of curious to talk about the path to 
happiness. And I don't know if this is just a thing that I'm at in, in this part of my life now, that it's a thing that younger people are getting into or not. But I, I just feel like I'm sort of, I'm sort of done with that conventional pursuit of that, that just giant fame and these, mm. you know, big, huge piles of money, because yeah. I think you can chase that stuff and wind up miserable and the years tick away. And it, honestly, it doesn't matter whether you get it or not. You know what I mean? Like you're still going to be miserable because you're spending your life chasing. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I mean, in some senses, I, I don't know what you were like 15 years ago, but you know, from what I know of your life now, you've made it, you know, like you're living in this beautiful house in Venice, you, you know, you're a few blocks from the beach. You're well established in your field. You're respected by everybody. It's like holy fuck! Like you, if you're not happy now, you're fucked, dude. You have no, no. a beautiful wife. You have great family. It's like holy shit, dude. And I am, and I am happy, and I yeah. do feel like that. And th and that's interesting. So now, now this is now I see why when uh, we're going to talk about the thing that happened when you were here at Christmas, and we were talking about the aristocrats, right? And. I couldn't remember that I hadn't brought it up, but if I hadn't, it was kind of more because like, look, I'm proud of all the things that I've done in my career and I'm proud of having done that. It's just a small thing, you know, I did it in an afternoon and then it was over and it's a very cool and project. And you walked down to the beach yeah, to do it. <laughs> right. Even get in the car, right. sat on a swing set as I recall. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, yeah. so, but we should tell people what we're talking about. We're talking about I was in the aristocrats and you were over here on Christmas and talking about comedians and dark senses of humor and right. have you ever seen the aristocrats and Alan Havy and I were both at the table yeah. and I think we must have both said because that's how you remembered it. I, I didn't remember it until I heard you talking about it afterwards but neither one of us said oh we, we were in that well Just, that's well you both were like yeah that that's a good film and yeah that makes the point because i was saying like with comedians you, you can't offend a comedian because the whole point of the way comedians think is like any idea is fair game let's just dig into it see what's right. there and you know it's potential material right and you guys were like yeah that that's a really good movie and then i went home and I had it on my hard drive, and I was like, fuck, I haven't seen that movie since it came out 15 years ago. I want to watch it again, and I put it on, and there you are in the fucking movie. Like, that's Jake. Holy shit, that's Jake. And then 10 minutes later, that's Alan. Neither one of those fuckers even mentioned they were in the movie. Right, but this is the thing. I have, I have had conversations where people say, hey, I saw you on Evening at the Improv, and I say, look, I never did Evening at the Improv. And they go, no, I saw you on there. It's like, so now, <laughs> now, argue with now you we're having an argument where I, you're telling me that I did a thing and then forgot that I did it. Uh -huh. and then, well, I'm not saying you forgot. I'm and saying you're such a smug motherfucker that you didn't mention it. Or maybe I'm the kind of guy cool who doesn't LA go, hey, dudes. you know your favorite movie? I guess you <laughs> didn't watch it enough because the two of us are both fucking in it and you didn't even remember that. So how favorite is that? You know, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be that guy. Well, see, I developed this whole theory of Los Angeles culture from that. I don't know if, did I, I heard talk your, about that? I heard your theory of it a little oh, okay. bit, but, right. but I just wanted to say more about like look I'm so used to in this town like I feel like I have made it I love my house I love these gigs in Birmingham and Huntsville and Charlotte and Nashville that I'm gonna do but there's a lot of people who are younger than me in show business or even at the same thing that are like, yeah, well, I guess too bad you didn't get to be Ray Romano or too bad you didn't get to be, uh, 
X, Y, or Z, right. who's Jim Carrey, who's more successful, you didn't get to be a movie star. It's like, yeah, well, look, if your standard of success is you got to be the most successful guy in show business, guess what? Only one person gets that, and you're not that person, so now you're miserable forever. Right. But if your standard of success is you have a nice house, you have nice friends, you get to record some of your social life and <laughs> put it on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I please, if you email me, I have to, we got to work out a fair price at the beginning. <laughs> they're going to be super cheap. That's at the right. beginning, you're going to be able to get a bottle of my urine for practically you've been what? Saving it up for, for a while. For my cost, now. I'm yeah. going to sell it to you for my cost. <laughs> at cost, you pay for beer. I'll Sell you the booth. Yeah. Look, I tasted it and I'm not really sure that's your urine. <laughs> My favorite thing that she does though is she has a couple of phone lines that are um, dedicated phone lines for men who get off on being ignored. So they'll call, she'll pick up the phone, hi, this is Sierra, and they're like, oh, Sierra, yeah, just hold on a second. She'll put the phone down and go about her day, and you know, she's racking up three bucks a minute or whatever it is. Guys who get off on being ignored. That wow. is the best what job a ever. Racket. Are there there's no there's no ladies who get off on that, really. There's ladies who put up with so. that. This is that's this no, is the women, problem. Women can get ignored for free. They this don't is the problem with sexism is uh, you know, the good guy jobs, we've ruled them all out because there's somebody who's doing them for free. Yeah, we, we need to unionize or something. Yeah. Hey, abusive asshole men, would you <laughs> Let's fucking all get cut it out? Because we could be getting paid for that shit <laughs> if you weren't doing it for free to ladies who don't want it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, the thing, you know, the thing, I don't know if you know Jim Carrey or you've read interviews with him or whatever, but he sounds like a very thoughtful guy to me and very interesting. But the truth dude be told, is not just happy. because I know this is the world that you want to live in where I tell you everything. Yeah, tell When me. I first came to town, Drop Jim names. Carrey and I had the same manager, so oh. I knew him a little bit. And then he made a big decision in his career because he was a he was an awesome ventriloquist. Right. And, or not ventriloquist, uh, impressionist. impressionist. Yeah, he, impressionist. Could, he could do, and he was doing kind of standard celebrity impressions. Right. And then he decided he had this crazier vision for his act and he made a transformation. He got a different manager and he kind of transformed himself. And then that's into when... Into more stand-up? Into, into no, the more silly, surreal kind of guy that he then became and then got famous doing on Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber. So this was when he was on that... Um he was on a black show comedy the, show before then. He was on. He had a sitcom called Duck Factory, where he was just a regular guy, animator, uh, uh, and yeah. uh, and then no, and then Living Color. Came Living Color, after. right? And Living yeah. Color, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think I. But I had heard he was a little bit. Uh, he wasn't as happy in in his current life now. Well, I mean, the, I I think he's just a really thoughtful dude, and I think, you know, he's. Um, I read a thing where he said something like, I wish everyone could be rich and successful because then they'd realize it doesn't matter, you know? Well, and that's where I would say, you know, when you just said to me, look, if you can't be happy now, then you got a problem. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like I am happy now, but I'm living in a world where people, it's very easy because the, the, the way that the, the general world works, but especially show business world works, is no matter what you've got, there's some other guy who's got more, and you need to be trying to be that guy or get what he yeah. has or be jealous of him. But then you're him. just a fucking sucker. When then you're, you're a just sucker a rat and you're on miserable. a wheel. You're but there's a so dog many... pulling a sled, you know? Exactly. I but know, there's that's so what many people you. who are making their lives miserable know, because they're but looking. They're fucking suckers. Instead of looking at what they've got, they're looking at what they haven't got. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're making themselves miserable. Well, that's that's the eternal mistake. You know, you can look at Buddhists say, "Be here now," right? You're yeah. always thinking about the future. You're like, 
desiring the future, you're lamenting the past, and meanwhile your life's gone by. Like that's a sucker's game right there, man. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've, I've quoted this to you before, but you know, just to finish with Jim Carrey, he, he reminds me of this quote I read from a football coach. That, have I said this one? I, I say it all the time, I'm you sure. You can say things more than I'll one time. I'll say it again. It's, Repetition is the key to, uh, to learning, to, to learning. pedagogy. Uh, so I'm going to get all pedagogical on your ass now. Is that like... Pedagogical. pedagogical. That's not like what Milo was talking about. Pe Pederasty. Yeah, that's a different that's thing. That's different. Yeah. yeah, okay. One is when you teach kids, the other is where you fuck them. Yeah. Okay, so pedagogy. Although Plato did both, apparently, or was it Socrates? <laughs> Can I, I do both? Mixed up. I'd like to do both. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Greek class. Uh, a long time ago <laughs> in, in Alaska. Greece. <laughs> no, in Greece. Uh, a little town. Uh, so this football coach was being interviewed, and they said to him, uh, you know, what's the key of being a great coach? And he said, you have to be smart enough to understand the game but not smart enough to realize how little it all matters. Right, right. So I think Jim Carrey's smart enough to realize how little it all matters. I think he became hyper successful maybe before he figured that out. Maybe he had to get there to, to realize it. But you know, you and I and a lot of people are smart enough. We don't actually need to climb to the top of the mountain to realize that getting up there isn't gonna solve all our problems. Well, and yet, you know, you participate when you come to Hollywood, then you go on these pitch meetings to just to kind of circle back to what we were talking about before, yeah. where you go into a pitch meeting where they're going to make your book into a TV series or something like that. And you get caught up, up into it and they're so excited about it. And you're excited. Let's face it. How wouldn't it be great? They're going to make a TV show out of a thing and then you can be on a TV show and they got snacks all the time and you get paid and you're going to meet a bunch of new, exciting people. <laughs> snacks. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, this is maybe this is an age thing, but that's one of the greatest things about show business jobs is there's always food you never yeah. have to figure but out it's like shitty food man not if like no not if, they, not if you food. hire the right guy if they oh, hire the right guy sometimes no. the snacks are awesome like i did a couple of movies this is i want to tell you all the things that i've done <laughs> <laughs> yeah all this name dropping is my fault folks i've demanded it i did a couple of movies uh, with alan Ru alan rudolph directed them uh -huh. and and one was a long time ago and it was about dorothy parker and so there were all these great young actors uh -huh. we were all young I was 32 at the time yeah. but it was just this great set and it was like a clubhouse and hanging out and we'd be you work long hours on a movie set and just yeah. every, all at once somebody comes over and says hey we're gonna make we're going on a coffee run and do you want a mochaccino cafe latte a frappe, frappinato or whatever you want they're go and get it and they bring it back to you and and you can have it right there Oh, oh, hey, how about, do you want a peanut butter and banana with honey sandwich toasted? Yeah, I would like one of those. And wow. then they just bring it over to you. Wow. Is that what happened to Marlon Brando? He just he got went for the Elvis. so fat. He went for the Elvis because the Elvis is that, but then with bacon on it. <laughs> and that's when you, that's, that's when, that's you got to know where to draw the line yeah. for yourself. Yeah, it's discipline. You got to have some discipline. Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing is, you know, I, when I go to these meetings and all that, I, I think I'm, I don't know whether it's some, you know, hard won wisdom, you know, from a long time in Alaska, a long time ago in Alaska, or I'm just old enough now, or I don't know what it is, but I don't get that excited because I, because the thing is getting really excited about something requires a suspension of disbelief where you, you, you're not just thinking like what this is going to be, you're thinking what it could be. And I think 
I'm also too old to fall in love for exactly the same reason. Like, falling in love requires you to believe your own bullshit. And you can love another person. You can grow to love another person. I mean, I can at this age, right? I'm growing to love you, Jake. But, but not falling in love is like this delusional sense that if this person just loves me, everything's going to be great for the rest of my life. And we, we yeah, project yeah. the same way success. If I could just have a million dollars, oh my God, would I be happy. If I could just like star in a movie, everything's going to be great. And you just sort of have this like blanket uh, fantasy of happiness without thinking through any of the details. Right. And the thing is, life is all about the details. And the things that actually make you happy are the little things. It's having that fucking great Ethiopian coffee you made earlier, right? And having a, a partner that you actually like hanging out with, you know? Those are the things that make you happy. You buy a fucking Tesla and two weeks later, it's just a car. You forget it's a Tesla. You're just driving around in your car. We yeah. get used. It's the hedonic treadmill, it's called, right? Yes, Where you I do know. I'm familiar with the hedonic everything. treadmill. So it's you a get used to it, game. and then you got to crank you it up. You get used to it, and then you got to always—it's it's addictive behavior. It's obsessive bullshit. So, yeah, I mean, Rogan was really—he was really nice to me on that podcast where he said something about you know how I just—I seem to be the least stressed, smart guy he knew, and uh, I thought, well, I'm—I'm I'm neither as smart as he thinks I am, and I'm more stressed than he thinks I am, but, <laughs> but we'll let it go. But yeah, it's like just living life. Like, what the fuck, man? I mean, that's, I, I'm really happy right now. I'm just sort of getting, going through day by day. It's yeah, beautiful. yeah, me too. Well, and that's my, that's my ideal thing. But, well, luckily I kind of have the, 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 whatever you call it, the mundane or the pragmatic or the financial aspects. I've, I've kept my nut smaller than my dick income. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. and my dick. You want your nut smaller than your dick, ladies. Um, <laughs> If you're thinking about making a switch over, a lot, a lot, a lot of these doctors try and sell you a nut bigger than your dick. Don't do it. Don't do the discount. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> discount transsexual surgery. Bad idea. Whoa, I listened to the wrong guy. you got to have a lot of conversations before you say go. Um, so I'm lucky because, you know, that, that old uh, saying about make $100, spend $99, happy life, make $100, spent $101 miserable life. Mm. You know, it's just, if you're, if you're always scratching to try and get it to work out, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So, you know, there's two ways you can feel rich. You can make more money or you can decrease your expenses. You're nut. Well, and getting into like my area of expertise with the sort of prehistoric economics, poverty is an, poverty is a concept. It's not a state of being. If everybody, like hunter-gatherers, we look at them and we would say, well, they're poor. They have very mm -hmm. few material possessions. But they look at themselves and they don't feel poor at all. They've got everything they need and nobody has more than anyone else. So they're like, well, I don't, there's no relative poverty. Well, and the whole idea, all, all of this stuff, all of this material, like the idea that you can own this chunk of land and this house and these things and that you can have money, that money, the idea of money, that's all made up. Yeah. We made all that shit up. Yeah. That's not real. That's not real. You know, if, if all at once computers and banks and whatever shut down, 
anybody would be able to just walk in here and do whatever they wanted to. Yeah, you know, you've got so guns, don't you, Jake? I don't. I'm not a. I'm not. Are you supposed to tell people? I can't. I can never remember at the spur of the moment if you're supposed to tell people you have guns or not. But I'm pretty sure I if think, you have guns, I think you, what you're doing right now is perfect. Just leave them. Leave yeah, them wondering. Yeah, I, I might have a gun. I'll yeah. tell you one thing. I don't give a shit. <laughs> You come and fuck with me if I have in a my gun. pretend house that's all made up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll bite you. I'll get on. I don't care you how got, big I your see nut you is. You've got kitchen knives over there. Yeah, and I sleep with. These are just the one. That, these aren't my sleeping knives. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, so it's all. All of this stuff is made up. You can't take it with you. You know. Yeah. It's this this idea that that you you got this stuff. Yeah, it's well, it's all status signaling. That's the thing, right? Where what we do with all this stuff is we signal our Mm -hmm. superior status to other primates that will supposedly bring us benefits. Now, what are the benefits? Uh, Access to females. That's the main thing that apparently we're all looking for as Mm -hmm. dudes, right? My wife doesn't even listen to this podcast, but I'm doing it to get laid. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, essentially, I remember this New Yorker cartoon. There's these two old professors that are, you know, sitting on a bench in a college campus, and this hot young woman's walking by, and the one guy, they're looking at her, and the one guy says, "There it goes, professor. The answer to every question, you know." And it's like, well, yeah, that is sort of that seems to motivate a lot of human behavior. Freud would say, you know, deflected, erotic. Uh, energy is has fueled the rise of civilization, you know, and civilization and its discontents. He basically mm-hmm. argues that. Uh, but, but the irony of it is that a, a lot of people who aren't even, you know, you, they're, they're still going through the motions uh, of trying to accrue all that status when they're already married and they're not interested in, in other women or, you know, accumulating a harem or whatever it is. Right. But right. we still go through the behavior. It's like, I had this cat. I think a lot of cats do this. She would take a piece of food on the kitchen floor, which like yours was ceramic, and she'd try to dig and bury it. And it's like she would just keep digging and digging and digging and she wasn't making much progress yeah. on that floor. But she was just like, I'm going to dig until I can bury this piece of food. And I think that's how that's how we live our lives. It's like Hey, you know why? Why bother? Yeah, it's what are you doing it for? Stop for a second and stop for a second and ask yourself, what are you doing for? Right. What, why are you sure you know what you're doing? And also, like women, I've found, you know, too much to my surprise and happiness, that one of the things that women are most impressed by, like, I mean, there's actually a study of this. I, if I can remember the the parameters of the study, but like they take. They have these guys, same guys, right? And they dress them three different ways. Uh One way is like sort of cheap, um, uh, just sort of like cheap standard bullshit clothing. Another way is suit and tie, you know, dressed Uh up nice. And they, so those are two. And they show women these photos of the two guys and they ask like, you know, who would you be most interested in meeting, right? And so all these slides go by of the guys and the women rating them. And they always rate the guy with the, with the suit and tie higher. They're more interested in the guy, even though they're the same guys, right? But there's so right. many of them that the women don't realize 
that that's the that same guy that right. they already rated a nine before, and now he's a four because he's dressed in this. But then they show there's another photo that they throw in of the same guys, but this time he's wearing like, I just don't give a shit kind of clothing, right? So he's not like trying to look like cool and failing. He just doesn't give a fuck. And they actually rate that guy higher than the guy in the suit and the tie. So there's the guy who's losing the game, there's the guy who's winning the game, and there's the guy who's transcended the game. Yeah, that's funny because that was a thing that I noticed that happened kind of in the 90s on the David Letterman show. Because I, I started mm. going on in the 80s up until right. he How many times retired? were you on that show? 46. Were you sucking Dave's dick? How, how do you no. get on that show 46 times? He liked me. He liked me. He thought he, he thought Did it was funny. Did you guys hang out? No, I just go on the show. He liked me. I I think the he thought I was funny, and then it got to be the, he got to be so famous, and the show got to be so successful that then part of the reason I think he would have guests on is so that he could watch them perform. I mean, mm. he liked me obviously, so he thought I would. Your couple be, of Midwest his guests boys. would like me, but then he liked to have me on because he wanted to see what jokes I had. What but 46, that's a lot of material. That's a lot of time. And you can't do the same, the same no, thing. No, you have to right? do a different thing the next time. Yeah. Um, so in, in the 80s, you would dress up, whatever that was to you, you would dress up to go on the show. Right. And then when he went to CBS, it was, it was now you dress up more because it's earlier on at night. It's a bigger deal. And then at some point, you know, if you were Bruce Willis, uh, and I just pick him out because he's a stylish, fashionable guy. And he, he at some point, started going on in jeans and a ball cap and right. a sweatshirt. As like, if he just like, got the like, call this while is he was how, in the park. This is how awesome my life is. Right. Is I come on Letterman before I get ready to go do the cool thing I'm going to go do later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, like, hey, are you serious? But that, the subtext way. of it is like, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to dress up. I'm doing something really great later. But, so I, but I just came in to hang out with you right. in, this, right. in this outfit. Yeah, but it was very much that transcendent. But Dave game, always wore the idea. suit and tie, though, right? Yeah, he never... and he liked it. He liked it if guests dressed. I, I had this... I hosted this show at Comedy Sense. This is just sorry, but Do you it. really Come are on, asking man. me to, to plug all of the things I've done. But I hosted this show <laughs> on Comedy Central called Two Drink Minimum, which was three comedians would come on every episode. And, and then we would try and do a little skit vignette with each comic. Before they did their set, we'd have a kind of behind the scenes. I would talk to them and we'd do some little thing. And right. There was some great, Brett Butler was on that show, John Ridley, mm. who wrote 12, and directed 12 Years a Slave, oh, I mean, based right. on the book, John, John's done a bunch of great stuff, but he was a comic on that show at the yeah. time, and Brian Posehn was one of the guests. 12 Years know. a Slave is a hilarious movie, <laughs> yeah, one well, of my favorite comedy films. He's going on to do things that aren't uh, <laughs> all comedies. <laughs> um, so, Brian... The th Brian and I, the skit that we did before he went on was on the couch, and I go, is that what you're going to wear? And he goes, yeah, this is what I'm going to wear. And I said, Brian, we're going on television. We're not watching television. <laughs> because his, his, his performance, but that was his, his persona was yeah. that kind.
comic book store nerd. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. just that. And so that's why he dressed the way he did. But Dave liked it if you dressed up to be on the show. Yeah, I can remember him giving some guest shit about that. Like, yeah, yeah thanks for dressing up, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's old school. He's old school show business that way. Yeah. So what's it like to, I mean, the first time you went on the show, it must have just been like, was that the biggest audience that you had had at that point? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was my network TV de debut, I think. Yeah. And what, how big was his audience, do you know? I don't know, because I... In the early days, it must have been in the millions. Definitely in the millions, definitely yeah. in the millions. I don't think it was 10 million, but I... Because this is like pre-cable, right? 80, the first time I went on was in 87, so there was cable TV, but not everybody but had not cable. Not big, yeah, it not wasn't everybody like had later. Cable. Yeah, so so that's huge. So were you like freakingly nervous, or I didn't how know. big's the studio audience? Uh, a few hundred, maybe. And you're used to that kind of yeah. Size. So it's you'd be used to the studio audience, but you're also I was you know I was young. I'm in my early twenties. The showbiz there wasn't as much show business yeah. then as yeah. there is now, yeah. and so the amount of experiences that I had to recording and being on television and being in front of audiences they were it was a big deal and I was super excited but the first night I got bumped you know which is you go there yeah. and it's as if you're gonna be on and they tell you okay after this next commercial you're gonna go on and then they come over and say look we're out of time so he's just gonna talk to he went along with Robin yeah. Williams or something he's gonna talk to him for another two yeah. minutes and then the show's gonna be over but come back tomorrow so then I came back the next day and then I had the advantage of um, having experienced it all once without um, right. without going on to, to, to guide me to kind of stay calm and right. not let myself get too amped up beforehand. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So then and you're in the green room, you're by yourself or with, you're with other guests? At that, that time, right? it was, the show was at NBC and, and I don't know if you remember, but they, the green room was almost part of the show and they would cut to the guests in the green room before they would go uh, on. Right. And it was a bigger room and there were monitors and snacks and big couches. So the three guests and their two or three people that they had brought with them could all be in there at the same time. But then when they went to CBS, the green room got much smaller to the point that you would just wait in your dressing room before you went on. And the only people in the actual green room were people's agents and stuff. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go in there to get a cookie sometimes. Always with the snacks. It's a pretty good cookie. <laughs> but they put the cookies in the dressing room, too, so you could get cookies in the dressing wow, room. Wow. Yeah. That's Letterman cool. show, he had good cookies. Yeah. I think he personally took a, an interest in making sure those cookies were good. Maybe his mom made them. His yeah. mom, I remember his mom would hang around the show. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's still around, I think, his mom. Around, I mean, on Earth, here, yeah. with us, walking. <laughs> talking, doing things. <laughs> on Earth. Dead. Yeah. On Earth. Undead. She's undead. She's undead. That's That's She's undead. Good. That's great. Uh, did you ever hang out with Paul Schaefer? Just to say, just to say hi, talk hey, to Paul. him. Yeah. Yeah. Say hi to pa him. Paul Schaefer's like a serious musician. He's like, he's been involved yeah. in, we go, if you want to, if people want to read an interesting book, I recommend the audio book, Paul Schaefer's audio book which I can't remember what it's called. It's something like, you were great, we'll be here the rest of our lives, or something like that. Yeah. But it's great, because he, he now... Sort of a zealot, right? Runs was... the band for the um, inductions into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. You know, he basically produced the original Blues Brothers CDs. He, he's, he's just musically, he's, he's been involved in some really awesome stuff. Yeah. And 
Canadian. Oh, he's Canadian. Mm -hmm. Fucking Canadians. Jim right. Carrey's Canadian, too. Yeah, that's Nasty. where we should be building that wall, because those are the jobs that we want to keep. Right. The Paul Schaefer's jobs. job, Jim Carrey's yeah. job, Alan Thicke's job, High Martin Short. These are all Canadians. Christopher come Guest, here. is he Canadian? I don't think so. Some of those guys are. Celine Dion is Canadian. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I don't want her there's job. a nice American lady who would probably love job. that job. <laughs> nice American lady. <laughs> would apply for the job. Yeah. Barry, she's the female Barry Manilow. You ever met Barry Manilow? I uh, there it is, opened Jay. for Barry Manilow. There it is, there it is. Did you know this already? No, this is like, we, we should play bingo. We should play like Jake bingo. I'll just throw something out and you'll be like, I opened a long for time ago Barry in Las Manilow. Vegas. Well, this wasn't that long ago. This would just be two, three years ago. I opened for him on several dates where he was doing these outdoor amphitheaters. I did three nights at the Greek theater here in LA with oh. Barry Manilow, opened the show. Wow. And I stay, and so I opened for him those three nights at the Greek theater, but then also several other outdoor. Did you guys get high backstage? I got a, I got a picture taken with him. He is, was, he, is he scary looking in person? I think he'd scare me. He's very thin. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a thin person. And uh, and obviously he's he's had some kind of work done, work done yeah. as I think everybody in show business past a certain age. I mean, have you had he, work done, Jake? No, I uh, haven't hit that age. Yet. Not, you haven't hit that age. Yet. But he his show was so great. I watched it every time. I probably did eight shows with him, and I watched it every night. I watched it all three nights at the Greek Theater, one after another. Hmm. It was so. He is a. a Showman is the old school word for it, but he just knew how to show the audience in a good, I shouldn't put it in the past tense. He knows how to show the audience a good time. If you're, I, I can't even say that I was a Barry Manilow fan, but mm. I knew all the songs, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, every amazing. song he They're sings, part of the culture. he sings all the songs you love. At one point in the show, just an example of how awesome it is. He, he, he's just done a song and then this clip comes on this giant screen of him on the midnight special in 1970s. It was a TV late night musical TV show. Mm. And he's on the, he's on the midnight special. It's a clip from the seventies singing. Um, I think it's Mandy and it's on the screen. He's they introduce him on the show. Then he's on the screen singing Mandy in the 1970s. And then the lighting changes and you see him on the stage at the Greek theater, wherever you're seeing him, watching himself on the screen singing Mandy. But now he's 70 years old as opposed to 30 years old or whatever. Oh. Then he sits down at the piano and starts playing a duet with himself. And let me tell you something. You can go fuck yourself if all the hair on your body doesn't stand up. Wow. It's so great. Wow. It's, it's just, and there's, there's several moments in uh. his show that are like that. We're just having this, you're just having a good time and you kind of can't, like you, you think that you don't want to like it. You think right. you're too cool to enjoy this. Right. And it's just really great. That's it was great. great. Wow. So, so anyway, I don't know what Celine Dion is like, but do not fuck with Barry Manilow around me. <laughs> My boy, man. I was called a Mandy. No, Barry. Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Cool. This is like seven degrees of Jake here. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun morning for me. <laughs> <laughs> we should do more of this. I, I, we've barely scratched the surface. No, I've, been a, I've, had a, I've been tangentially involved in a lot of other yeah. kind of uh, things. You know, that's the funny thing. You're in show business long enough and you have these, these little stories. Now, I never think to tell them as if like, let me tell you about another thing that I've done. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when they, when they well, come Well, it's up. cool. I mean, people are interested in that stuff, you know? Yeah. Because we could sit here and, like, 
talk for an hour and a half about people we know that nobody's ever heard of. Nobody gives a shit about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about my friend Kirk from when I was seven years old. Yeah, I know a sloppy gay guy too. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> how much are, are we? Uh, uh, we're, we've how we've we definitely <coughs> we've done enough have for done this enough? to be a we've show. Enough toenail clippings. Yeah, for one show. So next time, the sloppy gay guys, we're going to get to that. Yeah, that's our teaser for our next show. Joe's. If you're listening and you're interested in purchasing any toenails or uh, <laughs> you put up a link on your site, bodily fluids. I'm not ready to sell sperm, but uh, I feel like I can urine. I, I, I'm. Well, you got to know how to mail that. I think there's probably laws about that. Let's just stick to toenails for the start. Yeah. No. Are there no laws for toenails? I don't know. I don't know what the legal situation is. I just don't feel... If, if someone found a little baggie of toenails in an envelope, they wouldn't be think. freaked out. But if someone said, i got to open this package because I wonder what's in here, and it was a bottle of urine, they, I feel like you might be violating something. Yeah, some sort of you know, bodily fluids across state lines act. Yeah, I could be wrong. So... I'd like to just finish by telling you this joke. This is a show business joke, All right. and uh, and it has to do with what you were talking about about uh, s social approval and getting women and whatnot. So, a director and a producer are having a meeting, and a beautiful actress walks by, and the director says, "Boy, I'd sure like to fuck her," and the producer says, "Out of what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. You heard it. Yeah. Okay. I, I heard it, but it was uh, it was an anti-Semitic joke when I heard it. Oh. Well, anti-show business is the new anti-show. <laughs> that's that pretty much the that's same. That's not thing. right. You can't. That gets you. That's anti-Semitic. Yeah. Oh boy. You can edit that out. We don't have time to discuss <laughs> the one, the single state or the two-state solution. Oh, hey, I like whatever you guys like. I've, th I've thought about them both, and I like the one that they both like. That's what I like. That guy is just bluffing his way through. Like, he has no idea. He has no clue what's going on. On the one hand, on the other hand, he's sort of like a savant. I, I kind of feel like this has been the truth of it for the longest time. It's like, you fucking work that out. Like, right? I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Israel. <laughs> Work that fucking out. You tell me what you want to do, and then I'll high-five the both of you. Yeah. You know, that, that's where he's at. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. I think he's... I, I worry about him. I, I think he's on... He should be on suicide watch. Trump? Yeah. He's not going to kill himself. Did you watch that press conference? No. The meltdown? Well, he melted down. Well, it depends who you talk to. Uh, you know, pretty much every news show after it was just like, wow. OK, like, where do we even start with this? Well, just to give you an idea, this is where I'm at with him. It's wild. This is how I get my news of him now uh -huh. is I just bring him up in a conversation about some other thing that I heard secondhand right. that someone tells me about what he yeah. did. No, you should watch I the. I can't take it. I can't take it. Well, the, the thing it's that struck me is that he was so desperate for approval and so afraid and, and blustery because mm -hmm. he was so he knew he was so out of his out of his depth. I, I see him as the Michael Jackson of politics. He is the distorted 
personality that results from a lifetime of having nobody around you who gives you honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Do you think so? Yeah. But that didn't start with him from childhood, like with Michael Jackson. It started as an adult. Well, you know, if you look at his childhood, he was an obnoxious, violent, crazy kid whose father was a millionaire who, you know, Mm -hmm. paid for him, sent him off to this military school because he kept getting in so much trouble at the normal school that he was in. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm no expert on Trump, but... Just looking at him, I see a guy who's starting to come to the realization that he's being exposed. He can't, he can't do this. He can't hold on to this. It's all going to fall apart. I, I think it'd be interesting. I don't think we've never had a suicide in the White House. <laughs> it would be an interesting precedent. He couldn't feel out, figure out how the light switches work, so he offed himself. <laughs> or he'll just quit. He'll just be like, fuck it. I don't want to do this. First president to quit. I could see quitting. The Pope quit. I don't want to be president. Why not? It's the age of quitting. I don't want to be president. I can tell you that. I wouldn't want to be president. I wouldn't blame him for quitting. No, no. Well, it's that ambition thing, you know? I mean, he's, he's obviously roped into it, but no, I wouldn't want to be president. I think no one who wants to be president should ever be president. It should be, an, it should be assigned. It's not a good job. Who wants to be, who, I, I don't want that to deal with Congress and all these other problems. You see it suck the life out everybody of Everybody hates you and, and, you know, it's like, I, I think, you know, and getting back to hunter-gatherers, in hunter-gatherer politics, a leader never wants to be a leader. That's the thing. If you express any desire to be a leader, you're immediately considered ridiculous and you're disqualified. Disqualified. Mm-hmm. So the only people who are leaders are the people that other people say, "Jake, tell us what to do." And you're like, "I don't want to tell you. I don't know what to do." And you're like, "Yeah, that's why we love you, Jake, because you're humble and you're cool and you make good decisions." So, Jake, please be our our leader. And you're like, "Fuck, I don't want to be your leader because being a leader is a pain in the ass." And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it can fuck up your life and you got a nice little life going on here. Mm -hmm. That's the way it should work. So our political systems ask backwards. We're we're electing, you you know, got to have the fire in the belly. No, you don't. You got to have an absence of fire in your belly. But what you're telling me is that we've each accidentally played our cards right to wind up president. If, the, if, if it was hunter-gatherer world. In a hunter-gatherer world, okay, you so know, we might get the call and you might be like, Jake, you know, we need you. You know, it's like those movies where, like, you know, like, I'm retired. Well, no, we need you for one more job. You got to come back. One more job. Like, but I'm retired. Oh, uh, I don't yeah. think so. I think the movie that, for me, I'm going to be the guy who volunteers to go on the rocket ship to destroy the asteroid that's going to hit the Earth. You got a Bruce Willis thing going on. I, well, you, you think about Bruce Willis a lot. You know, I was in a movie with <laughs> Were you? Yes, I was. <laughs> really? But, yes. But, I, yes, it's called Breakfast of Champions. It's based on a Kurt Vonnegut book. I love that book. That was my yeah. first. Kurt Vonnegut book I read mm. at my aunt's house in Quiggleville, Pennsylvania. Quiggleville? Is yeah. that a real place? It's a real place. This is the aunt who now lives in Topanga. This is why yeah. I'm in Topanga. She moved from Quiggleville, PA to Topanga in <laughs> 1978. I'd love to move away from Quiggleville, but I need a place that's a little more onomatopoeic. Yeah. <laughs> onomatopoeic. Nice. Nice. Topanga. So, uh... You knew? Did you did you hang with Bruce, or were you just on the movie together? Uh, 
I got the movie because we kind of knew each other a little bit because a long time ago I was working at Caroline's in New York City and he and his wife at the time, to me, Moore, came to see the comedy show uh -huh. and they enjoyed it. But they left before it was over, but then he got in touch with me to do this benefit in Sun Valley and so we kind of had a little bit of a friendship yeah. for a few years. Yeah. And, then, and then he was doing this movie. And, he and seems like a part. decent guy. Like, he's sort of handled fame. He was very all. nice to me. And, and I didn't like his, on, his sort of persona, the smug frat boy thing, because I knew so many guys like that. You know, when that, he was on that show with the woman. The Moonlighting. Thing, Moonlighting. Moonlighting. Yeah. yeah, the sort of smirking, smart aleck guy. I, I never liked that persona, but over the years, he's grown on me. Yeah, I, I find him to be a pretty charming yeah, you know, and in person he's yeah. Very, and that's what I mean. In very, person he seems like just he's a great guy, very cool. generous and funny. And what about Woody Harrelson? You good know, to right? hang around. Never met Woody Harrelson. Oh, I have smoked on, pot Jay. before. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as good. Yeah, almost <laughs> as good. Almost yeah. as good. All um, right. So join us next week for another episode of Who Has Jake Partied With. <laughs> Two white guys solution. <laughs> Who has Jake eaten snacks with over okay. the years? Well, let's see. Let's go see who's down on Main Street. All I right. like a high five at the end of a show. Do oh, you? Oh, sure. All right. Oh, that was such a good one. Yeah. Normally, yeah. white guys sort of miss. You ever have that embarrassing white guy handshake the high five thing? where it turns into a second try, and then you gotta... where, like you meet a black friend and he gives you the handshake and you get all confused, and then he just sort of drops your hand like, oh, dude. Yeah. Like, I always feel like a failure in those moments. Like, I can't come through with the fancy multiple handshake. I feel like it's been a while since I've stuffed a handshake up. Oh, really? I, you I mean, do I don't want to, I shouldn't just say or that. Or you just but... don't hang out with black guys. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> I avoid black guys because I, I don't want of, that embarrassing I got, handshake. I got the kind of relationship with my black friends where they keep the handshakes so I can handle them. Oh. You know, I'm, they they're, they're simplifying for things for me. See, that's, <laughs> well, if that happens, I'd probably be more comfortable, but deep in my heart, I'd be disappointed that they're not even trying anymore. You know? Are you kidding me with this bullshit handshake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm cooler than that, man. Come on. All right, that's All right. it. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does. Please direct them through the link on my page, chrisryanphd.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. 
Reddit.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So baby, what's a big deal? If you want to be free, say what you want to feel, spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms, we'll dance into the ground.